It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. We look back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling welcome everyone to reliving the war here on the gray wolf entertainment network my name is nims joined as always by my tag team partner simon tackler this is the podcast where we relive the monday night wars and unfortunately for us we have reached the era of wcw where the wheels are slightly falling off but it's slightly entertaining, but I got to be honest here. Um, as I welcome Simon into the podcast, Simon, I don't know about you, but I reckon this thing took me maybe two and a bit weeks to sit through a three-hour pay-per-view. How about yourself? Yeah, this took me three sittings to get through. So it's been a weird time for WCW. We, uh, I guess, the rule of diminishing returns because in terms of you know big draws on the pay-per-view, we had Dennis Rodman. Uh, and then we had Jay Leno, and now we've got Warrior. Not Ultimate mm-hmm. Warrior, because that's trademarked. That's trademarked. Just Warrior. Because um, that's his name. That's his real name. <laughs> yeah, of course. So you can use that. <laughs> For anyone who doesn't know, how do you get around a copyright claim? You just make that your real name. You certainly do. Uh, Ryback says hello as well. <laughs> <laughs> when the president is Warrior and Ryback... You're an interesting company. But look, let's get into the pay-per-view straight away. So it is Fall Brawl 98. Now, Fall Brawl is one of the WCW tentpole sort of pay-per-views, along with Bash of the Beach and Halloween Havoc and Starcade. That's kind of one of their big ones. So already, you're sold on the name. Fall hmm. Brawl is just going to be there. It's going to be good. It's going to have war games. But i got to say, it starts off. In a promising note, it's one of the better intro videos for WCW, which goes through the teams for War Games. Uh, although what I found interesting was Wolfpack was spelt wrong. Oh, was it? I didn't even notice that. Did they have yeah. a K on the end? Had a K on the end. Ah, Indeed, they on. did. Which was rather strange. And then we get we get straight to the announce table. Everyone's all dressed nice. I, I like this because at the moment it's just it just gets straight into the. It doesn't faff around. It doesn't do the stupid. Stupid sort of like big drawn out recaps that WCW felt like they used to. It was just like a, here's who's going to be here. Here's your main event. Welcome to the show. Starts off great. Are you sure? (laughs) Were we watching the same show? Were we watching it on a time delay? These guys talked crap for ages. (laughs) I thought it killed the momentum because you're right. The video package wasn't too bad. There was no voiceover. I was about to say VO, very insider Mm -hmm. terms. No voiceover. Um. Then there was Pyro, so, you know, it started off hot. But then I think going to the announcers just brings everything to a grinding halt because not only did they set up the show and explain these dumb new rules of war games, um, which we should touch on, there is no more match beyond. So you can end the match at any point. You can just get a pinfall when there's two guys in the ring and it's over. And also, it's three teams... And also, there's only one winner, not a team, because the one person who gets the pin or submission becomes the number one contender. This main yeah, event is an absolute mess. Now, that's what, I, that's what I mean. Like, you had to have the dudes, you had to have Bobby the Brain, uh, Mike Tanay, and Tony Schiavone sit there. Because it was just, they did a great job explaining what was an inevitable crap show yeah, that I guess. was uh, going to be the, uh, the main event. So, now, bear in mind, remember, this is only, I've said, this is good within the first, like, maybe four minutes of the show. Okay. I've cut you off then. Continue. Now, this this is where the wheels fall off because Chris Jericho comes out to interrupt a mean Gene Cross and cuts his first promo on Goldberg. No, no, I've got to cut you off. No, that's not what happened. Did I miss an entire chunk? 
in between in between the announcers i think you blanked out the show was so bad it happened to me too but in between the announcers setting up war games and the mean gene interview which they threw to they didn't start with a match they start with mean gene there was a backstage video of the cat being held oh. back from a backstage fight. Why would you start a pay-per-view with something that is so low stakes? Like, oh, the cat is backstage. Look out for and, Ernest Miller. And you know what? I actually, comp- it was, look, this is this is how bad this pay-per-view is. And I know, <laughs> apologies. We haven't even gotten to the matches. They're already crapping all over it. But like, it was only because when you said that, I was like, no, that's the, no, that no. happens later on in the show. I'm thinking of the bit where he has that weird promo with the Armstrong brothers before his match. No, no, that's like I completely cause... blank. I've just melded everything into <laughs> one thing. Forget about giving Kevin Nash a promo or Hulk Hogan a promo to hype the main event or, you know, Roddy Piper like they used to. Let's have two backstage segments of Ernest Miller throughout the yeah. pay-per-view. Yeah. Meanwhile, Chris Jericho, who you think <laughs> we is yeah. on... He's on the upward trajectory here because he's calling out Goldberg uh, he, and cuts his first promo, as, at least on pay-per-view, about facing Goldberg. It's hilarious. He's doing all the Jericho classics, like calling Mean Gene, Gene Mean. It's still always going to be funny to me. I don't get how, even though it's been more than uh, 20 years. But like it, this part, it gives you a little bit of hope, but it's hard to shake knowing what happens in this feud yeah. because you're just sort of like thinking like, because it starts off really good, like, this should have been the fear that catapulted Jericho out of um, the cruiserweight division and into at least the US title. Mm, yeah, this was a great promo. This feud with Goldberg is a lot of fun for what it ends up being. Chris Jericho is really getting to, I guess, one of his first peaks of his uh, his career in WCW, which rolls over into WWE. This is like that same character, basically. This was good. Can't really fault the Chris Jericho stuff. Weird way to start the pay-per-view. I should have kept track of the time as to when the first match starts. But you know what? I can see why they wasted so much time. Because what kind of opening pay-per-view match is this? Yep. Like, let's so get the, into it. And the, the, uh... <laughs> In the Anvil Neidhart and British Bulldog, who are neither heels or faces. They just basically exist for some reason in WCW. Take it on... <laughs> Disco Inferno and Alex Wright. In my notes, I was clearly not caring. I only noticed now I wrote Anvil and Bulldog versus Disco and Anvil like it was <laughs> Mortal Kombat and you could pick the same guy to fight each other. Anyway. Yeah, so, so the dance and falls kick off. The first note that I've written here, my first dot point is Bulldog and Anvil and Anvil are a long, long way away from their WWF 97 specifications. <laughs> Absolutely. 97 <laughs> Heart Foundation are legendary. 98 Anvil and Bulldog are not. My second note is also, how do we go from Cruiserweight Bangers to start off papers to this is the opener? <laughs> Can we just say, you know what, let's, let's just take a second to say, in September 1998, the Heart Foundation, everything happened with the Montreal Screwjob, if we just look at it right now, September 98, out of the, the four members, uh, Anvil, Bulldog, Brett, Owen. Owen is easily doing the best. Oh, yes. It's not even close. <laughs> there is there is almost, like, there is daylight between uh, Owen. In fact, Owen, res- Owen, in this corresponding month, wrestles an up-and-comer named Edge. Who is st- and he's still, he's on the opening match of, the, of, the, um, of Breakdown. He's still streets ahead of uh, the rest of the Heart Foundation at the moment. Um, another one, another thing that I noticed was, was there a we, a we Want Flair chant that was going out through the arena? Okay, I think you're right, because my first note when I noticed that chant, I thought they were saying, We Want Head, like they were just <laughs> trying to entertain themselves with right, Al yeah. Snow. Okay, We yeah. Want Flair makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. But... um. Because I think at this point in time, too, Ric Flair was still out of the company and the horsemen were. I think that's the default setting of WCW fans. If you don't like something, just keep chanting, we want Flair. That's it. <laughs> I don't have too many notes on this except uh, except for um, two more. Two more notes. Anvil drops the straps and he's well on his way to Heroes of Wrestling pay-per-view <laughs> shape. And last but not least, uh, running power slam gets the win. And thankfully, this match is over. 
the only good part of this match was the commentary at one point. Uh, Mike Tanay, who is the professor, so you know he's meant to know everything. He calls Anvil Nightville, and Bobby <laughs> Heenan just gets right on him. So that was pretty fun. Uh, and also, this match is notable because I believe is this the one where Bulldog injured his back because I of the so. trap door, and they didn't the tell door. him where it was. Yeah, because of the trap door, that is exactly what happens. Uh, the trapdoor. Oh, look, we are, we already know what's going to happen. The trapdoor basically is there so the warrior can make his mystical little entrance, mm. but uh, Bulldog falls in awkwardly and injures his back, and pretty much is out of WCW for the rest of uh, of ninety eight um, until he's re- return. Yeah, I was going to say you do notice it at one point. British Bulldog, one of the strongest wrestlers ever, never struggles with any power moves. He struggles to get bull, uh, Disco on his shoulder for the running power slam at the end. And you can tell, for Bulldog to struggle with Disco Inferno, something's up. Something's definitely up there, too. Uh, yeah, look, the, the less said about this match, the better. Uh, all I can say, there's not much more we can do to crap on it. Um, it's over, and it's just as it's a shame to see how far British Bulldog and Jim Neidhart have fallen uh, from the perch. But um, we get to Mean Gene... Uh, the next segment, he's trying to find if Scott Steiner is injured. Uh, JJ Dillon appears out of nowhere, which I thought was pretty amusing. Um, and Mean Gene can't believe it. He's so indignant that Buff Bagwell and Scott Steiner are doing all their best to try and get out of uh, wrestling, Scott's, uh, wrestling Scott's brother, Rick, that they faked a doctor's note. I'm so happy to see indignant Mean Gene all over this show again. I feel like we've missed him for a while. He, you know, anchors so many of these shows. He was great here. Um, Scott Steiner and Buff Bagwell were fantastic together in promos like this. Scott Steiner with a tiny Band-Aid on his arm saying that he's injured. And then pointing to it, like, do you not see this? Do you not see this? He looks insane and he sounds insane. i got to say... I know there was so much talk at the time. Man, Scott Steiner and Buff Bagwell, if only they could have gotten out of their contracts at this time, if they jumped to WWE in 98 and, you know, everything was going fine for them and there weren't backstage issues or whatever, they would have been even bigger stars, I think. They don't fit here anymore. They feel out of place in WCW. Yeah, Yeah, they're very attitude era, which is very cool to see. Um, we then segue towards Jericho because um, Jericho has got a match coming up next and he does the full Goldberg entrance, but he can't find his way out of the ring. It is fantastic. Ralphus is there along with him, along with another security stooge. And all I got to say is that Ralphus needs to work on his tan or at least get a more, <laughs> more all over one. And I got to say, like, this was this is just quality Jericho. Jericho truly is, and you can see why he was such a hot commodity for the WWE to snap up around this time of the of, uh, of the Attitude Era. Yeah, I think they would have seen this and thought there's so much entertainment in this guy. All we've got to do is give him an opportunity, and you know he'll kill it. And he did. This is a great segment. You know, this has been replayed a billion times with Jericho getting lost backstage doing the the Goldberg parody, and it's great. It's fun to watch it in full on this pay-per-view. One of the only highlights on this show. Uh, Goldberg's music hits. Everyone goes crazy. But it's mini mini Goldberg. It's not Gilberg because WWE would do that later with Dwayne Gill. This is just some short, bald guy that they found. And, you know, this was the original go at that. It is good. Really, really good. Uh, Jericho obviously just beats him up, but it's very fun. Really huge bullshit chant comes from the crowd, which is kind of cool, but they're so invested in this. The lion tamer on the fake Goldberg uh, gets the win. And Tony Schiavone, the best butter at the end of this match, because uh, as you said, Simon, this is clearly just a squash. What I love is Tony Schiavone has to clarify at the end that Goldberg is still undefeated, even <laughs> though this match happened. I'm like, no shit, Tony. <laughs> Nobody thought that at all. <laughs> Uh, we then lead our way to a WCW.com segment. It's Rick Steiner on the internet desk with Lee Marshall. Not really much to say about that. These these segments are just really just such filler. It's not. It'd just be quicker to put up a graphic with WCW.com and a and a photo. But then we get to another backstage segment with the cat. Uh, the Armstrong brothers are about to be interviewed. Lord knows why, because. <laughs> 
<laughs> the charisma is just sucked out of the room, <laughs> like with a vacuum. But the cat, that dastardly Ernest Miller, attacks them, and then. Norman Smiley of all people, like because when you're thinking, I need to see a big name on this paper, we've just like so far the only names that we've seen are a uh, washed up British bulldog and Jim Neidhart. You can kind of say that Disco Inferno and Alex Wright, no, you can't actually say that there were stars in their own right. Mean Gene is the big, is the main <laughs> draw card that we've seen so far because Norman Smiley intervenes and this leads to a match. The cat versus Norman Smiley. And all I could say is two things. Norman Smiley needs knee pads. And two, why is this happening? All I'll say is that, again, forget Lex Luger or Randy Savage or Roddy Piper. Again, let's give two promos to uh, Ernest Miller and have the, the Armstrongs in a segment. Why not? That's how I would do a pay-per-view. But Norman Smiley and the cat, I thought this would be better than it was. I thought it would just be fun. Or something, it wasn't. Yeah. More like Ernest Miller is in full cat mode here. A great gimmick. Like I love it. The three-time karate champion doing the James Brown, Muhammad Ali kind of mixed thing, saying I'm the greatest and blah, I'm blah, great, blah. Yeah. It's just not good though. I feel like we saw Ernest Miller do more exciting stuff with uh, you know, Glacier and the Blood Runs Cold kind of guys yeah. doing all the the flippy kicks. This match, there, there is nothing to say here. Cat kind of misses a kick off the top rope, so then he does a standing feliner, and then it's over. Yeah. Thankfully, it's short. It's That's all I can say about it. Post-match, the cat does his usual shtick, gets a microphone, says he's the greatest, and that's that. It just moves on. Not much of a show so far. I think this is where I ended my first block of trying to watch this show. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was the same too. Um, then we get to brother versus brother. It is Rick versus Scott Steiner. And the uh, all I can say is the Year 12 Media Student video package is done recapping the story. Um, Rick is going to... Well, uh, it, it's, it's, it's... You can't screw around with this match. Like, they've built it up so much. They promised it at the last pay-per-view that this was going to happen. And it all starts off with Rick Steiner just going to town... Uh, on Scott and really this is it comes back to this is probably one of the first times that we kind of see um you know team WCW get the wool over the NWA because remember we've never seen WCW get any comeuppance this is the nearest we get to it but it's really short-lived because the crowd is so hot for Rick um dishing out some justice to Scott Steiner yeah and we saw the reaction uh, at Road Wild as well when they tease this match and then it didn't happen and the crowd was so angry. People really want to see this match. I don't think we ever end up getting it in any meaningful way. And no. this here, I thought, I forgot that this was the match where this all happens, but I thought this was going to be good because like you said, the crowd was so hot at the start. People love the Steiners. They want to see them kill each other. And the video package, there were some highlights in there. It wasn't a great video, but you know there was a soundbite of Rick saying, I'll hunt you till you die if you betray me again. Like, this was dead serious as a feud. Uh, after, you know, there's some good action, you know, buff. But I'm trying to remember at which point it is. Anyway, at some point, I think buff's on the apron and he gets knocked over. And then he says his neck is injured. It's only a couple of minutes in. And then the whole show just grinds to a halt. It's just, it just, it, they treat it like it's a full on shoot interview. And remember, so let's put it in context. This is 1998. This is well before any, like the Owen Hart incident, anything like that. So they can really sort of drive into that this is serious. This is something that happens. So, mm. uh, buff basically, medics come out, EMTs, everything like that. The match ends as well. Uh, Rick Steiner shows some genuine concern. They treat the entire thing like it's a shoot. It's yeah. an absolute sort of thing, like uh, to the point where they take Buff out to the ambulance as Rick Steiner says, you know, make sure someone calls his mother, you know, all that sort of stuff. Like they fully steer into that, like Buff has been seriously injured. He's re aggravated his neck injury. And then it's all a ruse. It's all a ruse. All a ruse just so Scott and Buff can jump out of an ambulance and punch Rick a few times. Yeah. Their master plan. <laughs> We'll punch him a couple of times and that's it. Although I suppose it means that Scott can now tell JJ Dillon, hey, I wrestled Rick. Match. 
leave me alone because the stipulation somehow according to jj dylan was that if scott doesn't fight rick him and buff will be banned from wcw forever and like we mentioned why don't you just put that stip on everyone in the nwo <laughs> <laughs> for doing way worse anyway it ends 10 whole minutes is the the angle part of yeah. this 10 minutes yeah. Yeah. of nothing if you were there in the crowd you can't hear commentary you're just sitting there wondering oh okay guys getting put in the stretcher wow this is serious and then it's not absolute waste of time yeah and that's the thing if you if it, if it was a shoot let's just say hypothetically speaking like the way that they, oh you know what like if you know that this is going to be a fake thing, do it for ha half that time half it come here so they were they're really pulling on the heartstrings here so much so that it leads into like the indignation from Tony Schiavone and the commentary team bleeds over into the next match because it's, uh, and to be fair, it's Silver King versus Uber 2 Guerrero, <laughs> who, who is the cruiserweight champion. And Tony is still pissed off about Buff's fake injury, even while the match starts. Okay, look, this match, I took some notes, not for the match. The match was fine, whatever. It's Silver King and Hoovy. They Silver do King some lucha stuff. It's fine. Silver King straight up looks like Mike Tanay's brother. They look so similar. <laughs> yeah, they do. And also, Silver King, just Google a picture of him, just so you know if you do, can't remember what he looks like. Let's play the age game. We haven't done this in a while. <laughs> oh, this <will> be good. <laughs> How old do you think Silver King looked here? In that, he looked like he was at least 32. Oh, okay. I was going to say he's 30. But oh. for someone who's 30, he looked a lot older then 30. I don't know if it was the Mike Tanay like, haircut. He looked like Milner. Milner if you took the, <laughs> take the mask off. But um, all, I could all I could think of was just like, oh, can we not find any other luchadors to take on Superton Guerrero? Just Silver King. And I want to say, on a sad note, and also like weird the way it happened, uh, Silver King passed away in 2019 after wrestling Juventud Guerrero in a match. So he's uh, haunted Ballet. by Hoovy. He also Ballet. he also played the bad guy in Nacho Libre. Really, Silver yeah. King? Yeah, Silver oh, King yeah. was Ramses. Uh, there you go. Crowd chanted "boring" a lot in this match, so clearly oh, yeah. I, they weren't interested. And I was googling at one point though. Um, Silver King hits a dive to the outside, and the crowd starts chanting "Taco Bill." which is very racist, <laughs> and Silver King looks up at the crowd confused and angry. Like, mm. it, like it takes him a second to realize what they're chanting, and then he looks very upset, as he should. So Silver King here as well, and I know it sounds like we're just crapping on Silver King, but it, it because he's not exactly, like, he's got the plainest of tights. It's just silver. <laughs> <laughs> he's just, he's not. It looks like Alberta. Imagine the physique of Alberto <laughs> Del Rio if you added a bunch of cheeseburgers to it. Like, no, you just... know what it looks like? Mini Goldberg. <laughs> this is mini Alberto Del Rio. But, but, but proportion. <laughs> yeah, look, it's it's not a great match. It's it it is what it is. Hoover to Guerrero does a couple of cool moves. He does an inverted Frankensteiner as well, uh, but that only gets a two count, which is so strange. He Hoover hits the four fifty, gets the win. Very, very simple. Um, two things that I wanted to point out that I noticed in this match. Did did Hoovertude on his ass of his tights say, sweet surrender? <laughs> it did. <laughs> I googled that as well. Because I was like, there's some other meaning. What, what is going on? <laughs> sweet surrender. I don't know. Who, who sings the song? Is it, It's like some, you know, they, there's that song, Sweet Surrender, That's that sweet they always surrender. play on, like, uh, Smooth and Gold. Yeah. What, but, but from what I heard... By, by wet, wet, wet. He's not a big wet, wet, wet fan. <laughs> Sarah, Sarah McLaughlin has a song called Sweet Surrender. Um, oh, my stars. And wet, 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 you're right. I had a look. From what I heard, I don't know if it's true, one little thing I found supposedly this was a rib on Hoovy because he didn't know what it meant. And supposedly, I couldn't verify this, but it has like a meaning um, in the gay community at the time and Sweet okay. Surrender was like a reference to that. And I think they ribbed him by saying, why don't you put that on your tights? Yeah, that sounds cool. 
I don't know, but either way, it's just wow, just odd. That is just so. It's such a bizarre match. It's a, again, there's so much questions to be asked during this match. Um, a couple of uh, one last note as we move on to the next match. Did you notice that Bobby the Brain Hand at the end got a tad confused and says that Herbert Guerrero is the new cruiser heavyweight champ? What's that? <laughs> Bobby the Brain Heaton refers to Hubert Guerrero after he wins as the new cruiser heavyweight championship. Oh, no. Okay. So clearly Bobby's checked out here as well. Um, I just did some quick Googling because I've checked out of thinking of Silver King. Mm. <laughs> On Booktopia, you can order a book called Sweet Surrender, Gay Bondage Erotica. So there you go. Yeah. Maybe we have clarified that. A, a bit of a, yeah, poor Hervey. Right now, he's just real. Well, if that's the case, compared to this and that weird dating video he did a couple of uh, months ago, someone really had it into rib Hervey the entire time. But they were just like really trying to like make that, you know, just get that audience to to be fans of Hervey. And he <laughs> might not have known what was going on. He might not have, or he might have, you know, steered into it. You never know. We don't um, know. Next up, now this is actually one of the little highlights of the show. Conan is at the internet desk. And the thing that I say, that the reason that I bring this up is because this is probably the best internet segment that we've seen in the two plus years that we've been doing this show because they actually use it to drive his storyline with mm-hmm. Scott Hall. Uh, and that that's Hall comes out and sort of provokes Conan. And that's, that's basically the segment. It sort of sets up the match later, which is what, let's face it, the WWE... Did, have been doing with their AOL crosses. So clearly someone at WCW watched it and went, yeah, let's let, let's try this. It seems to work for them. Yeah, and of course it's Scott Hall who does something good, you know, with one of those <laughs> yeah. segments. I will say, though, I thought it was really funny because Scott Hall obviously doesn't do the Razor Ramon accent anymore since becoming Scott Hall and since, you know, the lawsuit in the early days of The Outsiders. Because Scott Hall was talking to Conan, he put the accent back on in this <laughs> segment. And I thought that was really funny. Um, and I feel like I'm allowed to, we're allowed to say this kind of stuff, but it's like that thing. If you've got ethnic family members or whatever, sometimes you'll kind of put on an accent, yeah. even though you're speaking English to them. So yeah, I feel like that's he, what Scott Hall did. I, I feel like he was doing the exact same thing yeah. to sort of like, you know, just to ease him into the pool a little bit easier <laughs> <Exactly>. there. <laughs> um, next up, we've got Raven versus Saturn. This is probably one of the crappiest video packages I have ever seen for a pay-per-view <laughs> because it's Raven versus Saturn. They're trying to get through the entire story. Good on them for trying to get through the entire story. However, when you're doing that, it looks like someone has just taped old episodes of Nitro and Thunder and they're doing that thing where maybe they've got two VCRs and hooked them up together and are trying to make a custom mixtape because it's just clips from Nitro <laughs> spliced in with a weird Spall Brawl logo as the transition. The tank transition. Spall Brawl. That's what would happen and you'd get the sound effect. Yeah. I now, wrote, you know what? I wrote That's... pretty cool story, shame about the recap video because yeah. the segments looked awesome, looked really, really fun. And about that stupid tank doing the transition, the one or two times it's like, yeah, that's a pretty cool little tank, little transition. By the time you get four minutes into this stupid promo, because it's literally reliving everything word for word, you're like, right, I just just do a wipe. Or <laughs> Stop like doing that. the tank. Just do something else. But uh, I, I want to try and recap this just real quickly. So basically, there was a segment on Nitro or Thunder where Saturn had to become Lodi's slave. Yeah. Um, and after that, Saturn is then forced to break Scotty Riggs's fingers. And yeah. Saturn, even though he's not the best, you know, talker on the mic, he kind of says, no, you know, my honor is worth more than that. I'm not going to break a man's fingers. And then Raven says, all right, well, we'll break your fingers instead. And he says, all right, do it. And they break his fingers. And it's a really yeah. good segment. We then see a little... um cameo from a very young Eugene. Nick Dinsmore was wrestling Canyon on Thunder. That was cool. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we then see at the end of, uh, or at the start of another match, there were so many segments in this recut. Lodi isn't there one week, and Canyon yeah. tries ordering around Saturn, and the crowd figures out what's about to happen. And he's like, oh no, Lodi said you had to listen to me. And Saturn, with his taped up broken fingers, beats up the whole flock and the crowd goes crazy. 
Like, this feud has been a slow build for months. And I remember saying, I think it was at um, two pay-per-views ago, Bash at the Beach, I said the match wasn't that good between Saturn and Raven because I swear I remember one that's Better really, one. really good. And this is the really, really good one. Thank God for this match. Yeah, this this is clearly the match of the night. Raven um, starts off the match with a, uh, a promo to start it up. Huge, and they're busting at all the chops. Like Saturn's pulling out suicide dives and stuff like that. The flock is around as well because this is a Ravens rules match. Basically, Ravens rules matches just anything goes. And it is the, the part that also stood out for me. Tony Shimani saying that Ravens weird because he has strange piercings. <laughs> it's like the whole thing about how Droz is like heavily tattooed because he's got like five tattoos. Yeah. Raven's a weirdo because he's got a tongue piercing. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. This match is all that. And the cool part is too, it folk it weaves in interference from the flock, things like handcuffs, uh Yeah, Canyon are, is like, handcuffed to the post, we should mention. It's, it's such a good match and it's so well done. And because you've been invested for so long. It does. It it pays off a bit too. Um, what I thought was uh, rather hilarious was, do you know um, the reference that because Lodi had a had a sign that says, um, "Bill, did you inhale?" <laughs> Classic nineteen ninety eight. Like, oh yeah, no. <laughs> we go now. I get it. <laughs> Bill Clinton, of course. Now, right now, you get it. Right now well, you're like, it was Bill. It was only when you said 1998 that I'm like, oh, that's right. That, <laughs> okay. Because I was just like, what is he on about there? I thought but I was going to have to go into detail on that. Surely we can't <laughs> on a PG podcast. Very clever stuff there from uh, Lodi. But uh, another another thing, we mentioned the flocks there. Uh, sadly, Horace Hogan is also <laughs> there with the flock. Uh, but they come out with a table. And here's a, here's a part that stands out for me as well. Kidman. Kidman is slowly transitioning away from the flock towards the classic Kidman, you know, the wife beater and jean shorts that we know and love. He interferes and and um, drop kicks Raven, to which causes the rest of the flock, barring Canyon, to just hunt him down. That's the turning point of the match. The match starts not like a Raven rules match, really. They do wrestling. They keep it in the ring. But when Kidman hits that missile drop kick and runs straight to the back, because, of course, Saturn is also wrestling for the freedom of the flock. That's the stipulation. Yep. So Kidman bolts. He legs it out of the arena, and the crowd really starts to come alive there. It's great. Um, Saturn hits the Death Valley driver, but the ref is distracted here, and it's a near fall. And from here on out, it's desperation near falls because Saturn is trying to fight off every member. He's trying to hit a move, and... He can't get a win, basically. Canyon gets the keys and frees himself. And this was an amazing near fall, because I reckon the crowd thought, typical WCW yep. heel screw job. He gets himself free, hits a flat liner on Saturn, and Saturn kicks out. And now the crowd is like, okay, a good guy is finally going to win the big one. And this was so good. And the table that the flock brought out backfires on them. Saturn hits an insane Death Valley driver oh, yeah. from the apron onto the table, which is set up uh, like a platform between the apron and the guardrail. And the guardrail, yeah. Lodi absolutely eats it. He goes head first here. But then again, it was great because they got the crowd into it and then tried suckering them in because as Saturn goes to get in the ring, he gets an even flow DDT from Raven. Another kick out, another massive reaction. Somehow Saturn fights back up, hits the Death Valley driver, and it's over. And it's the I think the biggest reaction of the night. It's huge. We also should mention in that in the entire thing where they're going from desperation to desperation too, the first false uh, the first false finish after they do the um the DVD where the ref's distracted actually makes sense as a false finish because the ref barely crawls around because Saturn's got the cover for at least like 10 seconds, but the ref only starts counting when he revives himself and gets to it. So it makes perfect sense mm. why Raven could kick out of the DVD. The rings of Saturn is also broken counted up. as well. That's broken up. It's just everything is thrown out here and it just works so well. But the, And I think this is the first time too that someone's kicked out of the even flow as well. Possibly, actually. You might be right there. That's why the crowd like it, bit on it so hard. But either way, hmm. 
This is as good as it gets. Thank God for this match. I would highly recommend it and don't watch anything else. Yeah, yeah. It, this this works. This match is clearly match of the night. Uh, we get a quick little cancer update about Hacksaw Jim Duggan as well. So, following the good news about Hacksaw Jim Duggan, we just get straight into the pay per view. Did you find that kind of odd too? Actually, like because when you when you see, I guess in the modern day and age, they make like a big deal of it. They like, might do a little piece to camera with the commentators, but this was just kind of like a a transition almost into the next match. Like a oh, by the way, guys. Hacksaw Jim Duggan's great. Yeah, I feel like they should have cut to them and let them do this on camera. I thought it was weird to use as a quick transition. Uh, it was nice that they were able to fit it in. Maybe it's something they wanted to do and, you know, they were told, oh, there might not be much time. You know, we got to give Ernest Miller two segments. So, sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. Sorry, Hacksaw. <laughs> also, shout out to Hacksaw, who is still alive. He beat cancer then. He's gone through a lot of health troubles. He's actually in hospital again, by the looks of it, most recently, oh, wow. 2022. So uh, hopefully he can get out of this one too, because what a crazy yeah. run he's had for 20-something years of beating cancer multiple times. Yeah, you aren't wrong there. Um, we do get to our next match, which is Dean Malenko versus Cage, uh, not Cage, versus Kurt Hennig. Uh, from a cage match on Nitro highlights uh, is what the the, the the note that I've got written down, which then leads into the match because it seems they might have just given up on doing video packages now. <laughs> These are the worst, seriously. WWE <laughs> set the blueprint. Why don't you just copy it, WCW? Get a good voiceover guy. Get some cool music. Make some of it black and white. Do something. Anyway, yeah, they just show a whole segment. The segment was better than the match. So Rude and Hennig are beating up Dean Malenko. Arn Anderson runs out to the biggest reaction that I've seen Arn and Anderson get, you know, in all the time we've been doing this show. He beats up the NWO and the crowd goes nuts. Uh, does it go anywhere? Not really, but it was Absolutely a fun not. segment. The match is just your regulation stock standard. It's kind of boring. If we're Not being good. Blatantly honest My here. question it's... here was, can Dean Malenko get a good match out of WCW Kurt Hennig? No. The answer no, is a resounding <laughs> no as well. Now, will, look, yeah, we... we'll put an asterisk though. Kurt Hennig had a knee injury. He's gone after this pay-per-view for a few months. Why did they have the match? Why, why do this? Well, this is the part that makes even less sense then because uh, Malenko gets the win via DQ because it's a beatdown as Rick Root interferes and they're just going to town on Malenko. So Arn Anderson comes out for the save, but then they ambush him and the beatdown continues and it's Hennig and Rick Root standing tall. The yeah. NWO, once again, <laughs> no comeuppance. If you're going to ride off Kurt Hennig, at the very least, let Double A get some, you know, something in the tank there yeah revenge for you know injuring rick flair at war games last year or revenge for, uh, revenge for everything he can break his leg and say the horsemen are back and we're out for for blood you know because they can be kind of heelish because that's what they used to be you well, could the horse the horseman yeah. could break a guy's leg and still be the faces here well, if Arn Anderson actually just came out, beat up Kerning and said, that's what you get because you turned yeah. your back on the horseman, well, yeah, that's, exactly that's that all you need to do. Is yeah, it yeah. Like, it, it's not like Dean Malenko is taking on Vincent, and no. that would make no sense. Kurt Hedick, out of all the NWO, has got the most history with the horseman in this timeline. Mm -hmm. You took Crazy. my spot, and now I've broken your leg or something. Yeah. Anyway, the crowd chants, we want flair again, because uh, I just quickly Googled it. Winston Sa Winston Salem is in North Carolina, so oh, obviously they want Ric Flair. Anyway, they don't get Ric Flair. They don't get a good match. They don't get anything. <laughs> no, you don't get. In fact, you don't even get to see Arn Anderson standing <laughs> yeah, tall. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy Carolinas. <laughs> Flair Country gets absolute buckus. <laughs> uh, we get a commercial for Halloween Havoc before we get to our next segment. It's Scott Hall and Vincent versus Conan. And Scott Hall is in full last call mode. Uh, many of the nicknames we used to use from back in the day, if I recall correctly. Last call, Scott Hall, Scott Alcohol, uh, all of the things, which unfortunately, as we all know, later on, um, Scott never was really able to sort of shake his addictions. It was always just hanging over him like a specter. And, uh, you know, he passed away last year. Um, but thankfully, he managed to get on somewhat of the straight and narrow, thanks to DDP. But... 
it is when you watch matches and segments like this, when you see Scott Hall and his alcoholism just in prime time on pay-per-view, on one of the big pay-per-views, and just see how the mighty have fallen. With the with the benefit of hindsight, this is what were they thinking? Well, they wanted to do this. It was part of the story. Oh, can you act drunk on TV? You know, we'll turn it into an angle and no one will know if it's real or not. This sucked so much. And watching this back just reminded me of how much I hated this era and this story. It annoyed me so much. I think for me as a kid, this was almost my breaking point for WCW. I remember seeing some of the segments on Nitro and Thunder where, you know, Nash is trying to convince Hall, why are you with mm-hmm. the NWO? You should join the Wolfpack. You know, we are the Wolfpack. You got to sort your life out. And just, I don't know whose idea it was, but just the stubbornness of not having Hall in the Wolfpack when they were, let's face it, this era of WCW, the absolute hottest thing going. The Wolfpack were kind of the only cool main event thing happening, aside from Goldberg, I suppose. But I think the Wolfpack had something different, like that edge. To not have Scott Hall part of it just for the sake of like, oh, well, he's a bad guy. Like, nah, so dumb. The survey here isn't the same. The crowd is there to see the Wolfpack, not the NWO. And Conan gets a giant reaction compared to Scott Hall. That tells you where we're at. I was just about to say that. I've written down here, Conan is incredibly over. Uh, so much to the point where let me speak on that as got a <laughs> sign in the, in the, in the, in the crowd. Um I've no idea what he was talking about in the promo, but the but he was feeding the, the crowd out of his hand. Like, they were just eating it all up. Even Mike Tanay points out that Conan is one of the most popular superstars, rivaling even Goldberg. <laughs> so if you want to say, like, everything that Simon just said about the NWO Wolfpack being the hottest yeah. thing on the roster, like, that Conan, a multi, multi-popular superstar... Is the is the proof in the pudding right there? But um, all I could say, as we're talking about this match, because it's that era where you know everyone's so branded in the ring with their the same attire, the same sort of thing. It really just looked like a, a real life WCW NWO revenge match from Nintendo sixty four <laughs> with their iconic outfits. Um, hmm. that's the only thing to take away from this match. I hated this so much. Um, Awful. I just hated it. Scott Hall having to act drunk after being one of the best guys on every show for two years, having to do this and having to wrestle Conan. Look, all the all the credit in the world to Conan as a character and a promo is amazing, and we can't question how over he was here. But this match never clicks. This all sucks for Scott Hall. No Wolfpack. He's drunk. Absolute waste of time. This might be one of the worst endings of a pay-per-view ever these yeah. last three matches wh- what are they even doing yeah and, and that, that, the worst part about it is the star power that's in these last three matches should be like if you saw that on paper you'd be like if you didn't actually see this paper and you're looking at the description of the card and you're like what are you talking about guys you got dean malenko and kurt hennig two of the greatest technical wrestlers scott hall and conan well scott hall would generally carry two you of the most charismatic and yes, yeah Paul would carry him surely and a hell of a War Games match, which we'll get to in just a moment. But I do want to mention, um, with the uh, there was a lot of rest holds in this match. That's oh. one thing. But there's a part where Scott Hall gets stuck between the rings, and they mentioned on commentary, it's like we've never seen that before. I can guarantee you, we've seen that numerous times <laughs> when someone's been in between the rings. Have we? Surely. Surely on I one of these have shows. Sworn we would have seen it. And Scott Hall probably doing it because Scott Hall is the only person that seems to be able to look like a fool and make him at least at the very least go, yeah, look, it'd be great because I know the crowd will go absolutely ape for it if if I get it some form of confidence. Like that's the only shining thing of the NWO is that Scott Hall is the one that takes all the bumps and does all the jobs. But uh but uh, another question I wanted to ask, can you remember, is this one of the first times when Conan um, whips out the X Factor. Yes, he started to use it. What did he call it? Did it have a name? I for some I was thinking it was uh, like Rough Rider or something. Was it? Oh, uh, that I don't remember off the top. That rings a bell. But I suppose you know X Puck isn't there to be in the Wolf Pack, so he's taken his spot. He's and taken, he's taken it, yeah. his move. <laughs> 
because he moved away from using the tequila sunrise. Because when he did the um the X Factor, I was like, oh well, clearly this is that's his move. But oh no, he's finishing it up with the uh, submission. Mm. Oh, I'm uh, trying to find here. So yeah, uh, a lot of these old websites that look like they're from '98 just say that his signature move was the uh, tequila sunrise. And also, no, I, yeah, the, the other had a name. The um, the <laughs> Google has suggested me to like. Did you mean Connie X Factor or Korean <laughs> X Factor? <laughs> Surely you're not googling Conan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so it, it was kind of sad. But look, we get to our main event, which is War Games, and all I can say is Michael Buffer is really going through each individual participant to get his full paid by word appearance fee clearly um i don't know if this was just due to the the network feed or not but they used the when when they were lowering the cage they had a theme that was playing just some generic music and they used that same music for the entrances was that probably because they didn't want to pay for the self-high five ripoff and the this was so dumb because yeah. i thought the best bit of production on the show was the pyro and the cage coming down it looked really epic but when they use the same fall brawl music for DDP and Bret Hart, that's stu- that's just so dumb. stupid. Yeah, use their yeah. music, even though you know Bret Hart's WCW music sucked. Just don't use the fall brawl music because it was so generic. It's menu screen from like SmackDown two thousand and four. Yeah, sort of, uh, sort of thing. Now here's here's another weird thing too. Um, so we start off with DDP and uh, Bret now. I got to say, Mike Tanay is doing his absolute best to try and sell this match. He's talking about how there's 22 world titles between all Mm -hmm. these guys. He's really making it seem like this is a big deal. This is such a big deal. And all I could say is when Bret Hart comes out, because he's still in 97 Bret mode, uh, like 97 WWF Bret mode, he still doesn't fit. Like it does not work in this environment. No, it doesn't, but I will give Michael Buffer credit for correcting himself. He says that Bret Hart is wearing black and pink, not purple, like he said last time. Uh, Correct. So, look, that's the only good thing we can say about maybe the entrance. That's why, maybe that's why Bret swapped over to the pink pants for the for his late iconic WCW run. Make it really to, obvious. Make it really obvious, it's yeah. pink, you idiot. I will say, though, <laughs> the, the opening three minutes or however long the first time period is of the match because it's longer. This was the only good part of the match. DDP and Bret Hart had really good chemistry and I would have preferred to watch them wrestle because (laughs) after that it becomes every uh, minute and a half. I think it's a minute and a half or something. A new person comes in. Yeah. And it is just, just people running out doing really crappy brawling and then going for covers that are broken up. Why would the match end without everyone coming in? Why add that stipulation? You know the match isn't going to end five people in, and it's not good. There is nothing to say about this. Although, Stevie Ray is now part of the NWO, so that happens somewhere. This is the part, yeah. It's first. It's Stevie Ray's first appearance in the NWO, because in the previous paper, he was claiming that he was the TV champion against Eddie Guerrero. Um, this, all I've written down here, Hard, really hard to stay interested in this one. <laughs> yeah, I, I do want to give credit. One of the only highlights is Bobby Heenan explaining during one of the time countdowns. He says that unlike previous war games, we don't have the team members around the ring. And he says that makes it tricky because when you have someone at ringside and a manager, the manager can give you time calls because you need to pace yourself in a match like this. And he was saying that when you're in the ring, you don't notice the chance of Weasel or Goldberg or NWO. He's like, you know, it's it's all a blur and you need a manager to tell you one-on-one what hmm. time it is. Great bit of logic there and insight from Bobby Heenan going above and beyond to try and add some realism to this. I think, uh, even, I think Bobby even threw in the fact that there are referees inside the ring this time as well because they're going to have to count a pinfall hmm. or a submission and they normally and they need to be inside to see that happening. Um, yeah, this is one thing that I did think was, uh, interesting. Roddy, Rowdy Roddy Piper comes out and he just absolutely cleans house. He really plays into the loose cannon sort of thing that he was going for at the moment. Monster pop for Kevin Nash. Huge. Oh, Kevin crazy. Nash is well over for his, 
slow and somber entrance that still had pyro in it. (laughs) (laughs) I will say the Wolfpack, though, all members, Sting, Luger, and Nash, crazy reactions from the crowd here. Uh, They're all a house of fire. They all get to do, you know, like a little bit of beating everyone up. But the match just never gets going because, again, every 75 seconds, somebody's in and it's just, all right, got to lie down and wait for the next guy. Here's the thing. There is one bit where uh, where Hogan then sneaks in early. So the Tony Schiavone is even confused as well. There's a bit too where, because uh, when Kevin Nash is in the ring, Hollywood Hogan follows him after. Because clearly the A feud that's in Eric Bischoff's mind at the time is still, oh, it's Hogan and Nash. It's got to be Hogan versus Nash. Even though Warrior's involved in it, we've got to get to Hogan versus Nash at some point in time. That's our money feud. So Nash is barely in the ring. I don't even think, does Nash do any offense because he just goes for a powerbomb and then he gets attacked by Hogan He might, Stevie Ray? Yeah, he might not even hit a move. Um, he, doesn't, he doesn't hit a move. And then he's flat on his back as Tony Schiavone confuses him for DDP, which <laughs> I thought that was is great. ridiculous. <laughs> Hogan then does a couple of leg drops. And... And they keep talking about how Stevie Ray's got a slapjack with him. What the hell is a slapjack? No, no. Hogan had the slapjack first, and he slapjacked all other competitors. What he is a slapjack? He walks over to him, gives him one hit, and they all have to act dead for at least 10 minutes for Hogan and Worry to do their stuff. Nash, though, I reckon Nash politic backstage and said, I'm not lying down for one slapjack. You're going to slapjack me, and then you're going to hit me with two leg drops. You're yeah. going to have to do more than that. Everyone else, though, was like, yeah, hit me and I'll take a nap. Uh, yeah, to, to the point where, so when Hogan goes in with a slapjack, you know that weird kind of like, um, like, like the best way I can do it is like, you know, in, in the movie The Matrix, I think it's the uh, where, where Neo is there and all of those Agent Smiths come and attack him. Hmm. And then he does like a big, and they all go flying. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when he's fighting the Smiths. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That is what all of those wrestlers reacted like when they were hit by the snap bar by the slapjack. <laughs> like they just all just full on just jumped backwards like it, like an atom bomb had just gone off. Yeah, exactly. Because the slapjack, most dangerous weapon in the world, I'm trying to look to really figure out what they're like, made out of. Like so it says what? here, a slapjack is a is a batting weapon which may be used in self-defense or other forms of hand-to-hand combat. Are there other types of hand-to-hand combat aside from self-defense anyway? It typically consists of a flat profile outer skin containing a hard weight material that may be swung at any part of an opponent's body. (laughs) So it's a piece of leather with a piece of steel in it. I think one of the commentators actually mentioned that lead slapjack. So it's a bit of lead in a bit of leather. This is my favorite part. So I just Googled slapjack weapon. In popular culture, especially in the 1940s, the slapjack has been associated with street gangs and thugs as the weapons of choice. In more recent times, some professional wrestling heels have also been known for using the slapjack, namely Conan and Stevie Ray. When (laughs) those are your, like, you know, like, oh, you know, professional wrestlers in popular culture, Conan and Stevie Ray are your are your points of call. Probably not that popular. <laughs> what I don't get, I'm actually looking at pictures here now. Like, look, Stevie Ray and Conan may be trained in the art of the slapjack. But <laughs> if you're holding it, it's only the size of, let's say, like a big mobile phone. Yeah. It's such a small weapon. Let's say it does have a piece of metal in it or whatever. It just feels like, how do you <laughs> get that good of a swing on it to... Yeah, I don't know. You're like I you need know. to be really close to someone because it just basically <laughs> yeah, looks. Like, yeah, yeah. It's uh, the slapjack looks like it's this. It's smaller actually than from your wrist to your elbow. Yeah, what kind of momentum are you getting? Actually, <laughs> this is great. I'm looking here. You can get a slapjack that has a zip in it, and you can fill it with whatever you want. Oh, so that's great. You can fill with coins. So, for example, you've just got a leather bound. Little, you know, like a, a purse with coins in it. You just smack someone. <laughs> slapjack. Anyway. What I found interesting, I used to always love that Stevie Ray had slapjack, uh, like, on his on his gear. 
Yeah, like he wanted it to be his name, like it's Slapjack Stevie Ray, you know. Stevie Ray in the NWO, disgust. Oh. We could do a whole. We could do a whole episode of the NWO. Disgusting. Like, yeah, that's for sure. Um. So anyway, then after all the slapjackery, the <laughs> the ring, the ring fills up with smoke. In one of the most ridiculous things you will ever see. So the ring fills up with smoke, and all of a sudden, the warrior is there doing his full gaga goo goo kind of thing, except he's doing it with his back to Hulk Hogan. So Hogan attacks him. I thought that was so good. What an idiot. And Hogan just knocks him out. He doesn't have the slapjack at this point because he's given it to Stevie. He literally just punches him in the back of the head while he's falling. It's pretty good. And did you notice as well, as the smoke is filling the ring, you can hear audible coughs yeah, and coughing. I didn't know if that was one of the comment- commentators just trying to sell the moment. I don't think it was. I actually think it was someone at ringside. I actually dying. think it was someone at ringside just dying from all this smoke <laughs> that's just filling the ring. Anyway, so after 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 Warrior's done his goo goo gaga and Hogan's attacked him, we should then point out that um, the ring fills up with smoke again. And it is actually the, uh, he's just standing there holding Warrior's jacket. Mm. And then, and it actually wasn't the Warrior in there. Warrior runs out and gets into the ring in one of the most confusing little ending sequences you'll ever see. Yeah. Bizarre. So, so the Warrior had a fake Warrior to throw off Hogan. And then instead of like, haha, but I'll get you from the top rope or I'm going to appear from behind. He then just comes out the entranceway. Hey, Warrior, you could have just come out the entranceway in yeah. the first place. You didn't <laughs> surprise him by running down the entrance. He was ready for you anyway. Also, a hole in the logic. So they set this up. The match can end at any time. Anyone can pin anyone. Hogan and Stevie Ray slapjacked everyone <laughs> in the ring. They could have just pinned anyone. They didn't even have to wait for Warrior. <laughs> The whole time, I was like, just pin him. Pin someone. What are you doing? <laughs> anyway. And I love that they're making such a big deal. But notice how Stevie Ray's not pinning Hogan. Mate, no one's pinning anyone. <laughs> no, yeah, no one's pinning anyone. They're all either sleeping or holding Warrior's jacket. Yeah. So, now, this is the part. It takes so long for Warrior to get down from the ring to, the, to, um, to actually enter that Hogan's got enough time to leave the ring out mm. the door and then get Brutus the Barber Beefcake, uh, a.k.a. the Disciple, to then lock the door. There's more debate between Mike Tanay and Bobby the Brain Heater and Tony Schiavone about did he say lock lock, lock out the ref or knock out the ref? <laughs> I know. That, the things the WCW commentators get focused on sometimes when they all get passive-aggressive with each other always shocks me. Who cares what he said to the, you know knock yeah. out or lock out the ref? So weird, so weird. But yeah, so after all this hullabaloo, Hogan has locked, uh, Hogan's outside the cage and he's locked Warrior in the cage. And Warrior's literally circling both rings following Hogan until he obviously, uh, he then climbs up to the top sort of monkey bar style um, and then kicks out a panel of the cage and crawls out and then chases Hogan and uh, Disciple to the back. But then cops and stuff and security get in to separate them. The crowd here at this point in time just seems bewildered. It was to too much. Least. It wasn't yeah. the reaction they would have wanted because the crowd at this point is like, what's happening? Why yeah. is any of this happening? I wish there was an alternate camera angle of Warrior jumping out of the cage, though, because he kicks the top panel with his feet and then he jumps out feet first. Now, just logistically, if you jump out feet first forwards, it's really hard to get your balance. And he clearly eats shit and falls yep, over. Yep. I wish we had the clear view of him just falling over. It would have been totally. He certainly would have because, like, it, it's almost like I don't know if you've seen him like athletics. You know, when people do the run and the long jump, that kind of awkward sort of legs out first momentum. Legs and he's actually, he, he, yeah, it's just bizarre. Well, like when you're a kid, you know, when you you're on the swings 
and then you yeah. jump off. You're jumping off feet first. It's never a clean landing. Warrior yeah. absolutely fell on his ass. Yeah. He would have just looked like an absolute moron there as well. <laughs> now, after all, after all this commotion, DDP has the smarts to go for a pin. Bret Hart then vicious, like, not like, you know, almost in slow motion, is like, I should try to break this up. Ah, to hell with it. <laughs> what on earth happened with the ending? Because DDP pins Stevie Ray with a diamond cutter. Obviously, he pins Stevie Ray. That's why Stevie is in the match to yeah. take a pin. But Sting is standing up and Brett, like, violently schoolboys him or something. <laughs> the whole ending looked awkward. Also, did Stevie Ray kick Brett in the leg earlier? Was Brett not in the NWO? What's going on with Brett here? Yeah, when, when, because Stevie Ray did go and attack him, I thought that the three members of, uh, NW, of, uh, Team Hollywood in this was Brett, Stevie Ray, and, um, Brett, Stevie Ray, and uh, Hogan. Hollywood Hogan. Yeah. Were they not? They are. Okay. Because did... then part of then part of me was just like, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm getting my timeline. Like Brett's part of Team WCW. But no, Roddy Piper and Dallas Page are like, what is going on? Did they forget to figure out how to take out Brett? They slapjacked everyone. Was someone who was jacked? meant to hit Brett first, but Brett was the last man standing. And then it was like, oh, better hit Brett in the leg. I don't know. Yeah. Who cares? So, this match so, uh, garbage. After all of that, DDP gets the win to absolute indifference in the crowd because they're just confused. He gets one of confused. the... He, we should mention, he got one of the biggest pops on his entrance. DDP over as anything. On the win, though, the crowd was like, ah, oh, are we happy? I don't know. I don't know what's going on. We, what did we just see? The ring just filled up with smoke. Meanwhile, half the front row is coughing their lungs out. <laughs> and then and then WCW, the masters of the waffling on after a pay-per-view, just fade to black real quick because they must have run over time. Yep. Nothing to see here. Let's just fade to black. Can I just say, looking at the, uh, the buy rates for this pay-per-view, talk about diminishing returns. Bash at the Beach 98, one of the biggest WCW pay-per-views ever, 580,000 buys. Road Wild with Jay Leno, not too bad, 365, still kind of above average. Fall Brawl 98, this is what you. This is what happens when you do too much of this celebrity BS and you've got no real world title feud or whatever. Fall Brawl, 275,000. So all less than half of what they did two months ago. Mm. Mm. Yeah. The bloom uh, is off the rose. Yeah, it's just that's it. It's the the it's a it's the slide has just completely happened because Halloween Havoc is their next pay-per-view where they're desperately trying to recapture the magic with the uh the awful Hulk Hogan versus Warrior 2, which makes sense. Like I'd I'd like to sort of see um like that's a good sort of tent pole to sort of draw to it. But it also ends up sacrificing. Hey, here's a question for you, Simon. When we when we recap Halloween Havoc next month, mm. do we watch the Goldberg match or do we treat it like the actual pay per view broadcast <laughs> and just <laughs> and cut it out? Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know because yeah, on pay per view, famously the they went so over time that the main event wasn't aired in full. Uh maybe we should do it justice and watch it because I have a feeling that might be one of the only good things on that show. Yeah, I think so. Look, it sounds very, very harsh here, but there's really not much to talk about. And look, I'm going to say if we, if we, we normally hand out our MVP awards and the MVP leaps and bounds for me, there is only one contender and that's Chris Jericho. Oh no, I was going to say Perry Saturn. You were going to say Saturn? For that match. Yeah, that's true, actually. Oh, but then again, Chris Jericho, from the entertainment standpoint, the promo with Mean Gene, and then the entrance and the match with fake Goldberg, but then Perry Saturn for just having a real main event type match with near falls and good wrestling and interference and crowd getting into it. I don't know. It's not a shock that we're at the point where the guys are giving the MVP award are that, you know, the the mid card of WCW, but that's Mm. about it. I reckon the best way that he can put it, in terms of entertainment, Jericho wins hands down. In terms of match quality, Saturn wins hands down. Because yep. that's the only that's the only two highlights you can take from this pay-per-view. But, I'm um, pretty sure we're very close to those two men feuding soon as well. Yeah. Yeah. Look, 
go out of your way to avoid <laughs> full brawl 98 watch the raven match it's fantastic yeah. um the jericho this is probably if you want to see the genesis of how the jericho goldberg feud started this is probably the best way to do it but this is it's amazing the drop in quality when you think about because i was just sort of thinking as i'm watching the war games match and being just blown away by how stupid the the um the, the ring filling with smoke art. Like, night, War Games 96, Team WCW versus Team NWO. So good. War Games 97, the the horsemen return at War Games. Not, not great, but not bad either. And this is just, shouldn't even be mentioned in the yeah. same breath. Those matches felt violent and there was drama involved. This was just an absolute shit show. And a yeah. shit show as well. Yeah. Just, don't watch it. Yeah, really, really awful stuff. Thankfully for us, we've got uh, the taste of WWF to cleanse the palate a little bit later on because it's WWF Judgment Day. That's the next pay-per-view that we'll be looking at uh, in your house. It should be fantastic to see. And then we'll be back for Halloween Havoc. But until then, make sure you go through the archives. Trust me, 98 WCW is an interesting one to sort of sit through and we'll be doing it until their demise. So don't worry about that. But uh, on behalf of Simon, my name has been Nims Azor. We've been reliving the war, and we will catch you next time on the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network, greywolfentertainment.net.